Friends, good being with you this fine morning. It's a rainy morning. It's a humid morning out there, but we need the rain. My grass in my yard is brown, and uh, we just have not had enough rain to green things up. So I hope that we get some nice uh, few days of some rain just to help kind of uh, help the crops and help the grass and all that type of thing. We are in the book of Ephesians. We're in the fifth chapter. Um, I mean, this this book is in many ways flying right by. Uh, this is a fantastic chapter in so many different ways. We're going to work our way uh, as we're able through it, and uh, uh, no guarantees on speed or duration or anything of that nature. We're just going to uh, take our time and work work through the book, uh, work through this chapter, chapter 5. 
uh, and I've entitled this morning, Live Like Christ, because that's what Paul starts out saying uh, right here in the very beginning of this uh, uh, of this chapter. Let me jump us right into it. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, uh, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself self up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We are called to be like little Christs. We are called to uh, to follow after him. We are called to be like him. We are called to be absorbed into him. And that, in other words, what I mean by that is that our life more and more and more becomes like Christ in terms of our character, in ter- terms of our priorities, uh, in terms of the things that, that matter the most to us. Um, so to be imitated, how we treat people how we consider people, how we look to people in all those ways that we would be uh, imitators of God in those ways. And he's going to talk this morning about, uh, or in this chapter, uh, what it means to be an imitator of God and what it doesn't mean. I mean, if if you're doing something different, then you are not an imitator of God. And and that that gives um, reason to ask a question of ourselves and, and just what we need to do. So, um, I'm looking down through the last little bit of some notes here because I want to just make sure that uh, yeah okay well chapter 5 verse 1 we've already read it be imitators of God and just to think about what does this mean to, to live like him to forgive like him back in the end of chapter 4 uh, Paul challenged his readers uh, to forgive as Christ forgave. It says in verse 32, remember, these uh, chapters and verses are a later um, uh, addition, uh, a man-made addition to what God had given through his word. There weren't chapters, there weren't verses in the original scrolls, uh, and so where, where it says uh, in verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And then it goes directly into chapter 5, be imitators of God, therefore. I mean, that all f- would flow together in the way that the original was written. We break things up by chapters and verses, and we're thankful for that because it helps us know how to navigate things. Uh, but to be kind, to be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the call of the Christian life. And there, there are some Christians who would say, ah, you know, I, I'm mad at them. I'm going to stay mad at them. Uh, and I, I have the right to be mad at them. They wounded me. Well, the fact is we all wound Christ every day and, and sometimes more grotesquely than other times. And yet Christ demonstrates the willingness to grant us forgiveness, and then he gives us, he does grant us, not only does he have the willingness to to, to grant us forgiveness, but he grants us forgiveness when we repent. He grants us forgiveness when when we return to him, when when we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And you might fill in the blank with whatever your most grotesque, most, um, 
offensive sin might be and to think that if God can forgive you of that when you have insulted him, when you have assaulted him uh, in the ways that, that you do in your sins or that I do in my sins, the way that we do in our sins, if God, the, the holy God, the transcendent God, the holy other God is able to forgive us when we sin against him, then most certainly we as mortals, we as human beings need to be able to do the same thing. So when we remember all that Christ has done for us, then we would do the same for other people, to be kind, to be compassionate. It says, verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So, Great insight here, Priscilla sharing. I read that the verses came into being in the 1500s, and I, I think that is true. It is a later uh, mechanism that was given to help, uh, especially with the printing of the Bible beginning, to help people be able to navigate. Otherwise, we'd say, well, somewhere in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, it says, so we're thankful that someone created this, this mechanism of chapters and verses because it does help us to be able to navigate. Verse 32, be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I mean, how grateful are you for the forgiveness of God in your life? And yet, I have to ask, do you hold something against somebody? I mean, I have to ask myself that question too. Uh, am I wanting to hold something against somebody? And, and now, some some people say, well, you can't just live like it never happened. Well, um, yes and no. I mean, the forgiveness that God gives to us is a forgiveness where he forgives and forgets. He casts it into the depths of the sea. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. He obliterates it from our lives. And so to be like Christ, I think, means that we we would seek to move the same direction. Now, I'm not saying that to forgive somebody instantaneously means that you're also going to trust them, especially uh, if if they have demonstrated a an offensive pattern. You know, they they do something that's offensive, and then they say, "Forgive me." Then they turn around, do it again. Oh, forgive me. I turn around, do it again. Oh, I'm sorry. And then turn around, do it again. And, wh- and whatever it might be, it's a pattern. I, I understand it's difficult to trust or. Maybe it, it was an extremely egregious offense, uh, something in childhood, something uh, of a uh, harassing nature, something uh, of uh, that is hugely violating in your life. I mean, that, that might be harder to forgive. However, we remain in our own prison when we are unwilling to to grant others the forgiveness that Christ for that Christ has demonstrated to us. The forgiveness with which he has forgiven us. And so in your life, if there's one of those areas, one of those people that you are harboring the bitterness, that you're harboring the unforgiveness, I want to challenge you, quoting the word of God, uh, it, and I would say even modern psychology, now some psychology might say, well, you have to hold on to that. You have to, I mean, we live in this day where you don't trust anybody, you don't forgive anybody, you everything is always, I mean, we, we've so overdone it in the psychological world that, that we sometimes, I think, do more harm than we do good uh, because we do not push people to, uh, to 
you know, we, we teach boundaries. Well, we need to have boundaries, but we also need to have forgiveness. So we, we need to have boundaries, but we also need to demonstrate kindness and compassion and grace. Um, and I, I think that, you know, some in the modern psychological world would say, well, they harmed you, they wounded you, you just need to move on from them. Well, sometimes I think that is true. But I also think sometimes it allows us to harbor something in our hearts, especially for the believer, especially for the Christian, uh, that keeps us from being like Christ, and we end up being in, in, in the prison of our own soul in our own unforgiveness. So Paul, concluding chapter 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you, and you get into chapter 5, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. Then he goes on demonstrating, and Christ is the pattern that is given to us. He is the one that we follow. He is the one to whom we look. When you think of what others did to him, like the Roman soldiers, and stripping him, stripping him of his clothes, and placing upon him that crown of thorns, and driving those nails through his hands and through his feet, well, you know, okay, that was awful what they did to him, but we we have to step back and realize that that happened to Christ because he was paying for our sins, your sins, my sins, the sins of the world. That's what took him to the cross. So therefore, to be imitators of God as dearly loved children, to live a life of love just as Christ loved us. How did Christ love us? Christ loved us by offering us an undeserved forgiveness, uh, unmerited grace, unmerited mercy, unmerited kindness, unmerited forgiveness, uh, unmerited inheritance, all the things that we did not merit, that, that we do not deserve, Christ gives to us. And so we are called to live a life of love and to extend the same thing to other people. That is the call of God in in our lives to do those very things. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. To forgive someone else is sacrificial. It isn't saying that, well, you know, you never hurt me. It's I, I release you of the guilt of the harm that you did in my life. Sometimes we think we'll just say to somebody, I forgive you. It's like there was no, 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 uh, no, no foul, no harm, no foul. But that isn't really the reality. There was harm. There was foul. There was pain. There was offense. But I release you of that offense because Christ has released me of my offenses. And this is, can be an incredibly difficult thing to do. If, if you were sexually abused as a child, and uh, maybe the, the challenge and the difficulty of thinking about forgiving your abuser, especially if it happened numerous times, to be able to think of offering forgiveness to that person. If you offer forgiveness, yet you're still mad at them, you really haven't offered forgiveness. If you've offered forgiveness, if you say you've granted forgiveness, but yet you harbor bitterness, you really haven't given forgiveness. Uh, when we offer the love of God that flows through our hearts, it will expunge from our hearts the bitterness. It will expunge from our hearts uh, 
the harboring of hatred. It, it will cleanse us of those things. Not only does forgiveness granted to our offenders grant them cleansing, it also cleanses us. It's kind of like a two-way cleanser in that way. Now, Christ didn't need to be forgiven of anything. He didn't need to be cleansed of uh, of harboring ill will toward the world, but we do. Uh, and for us to grant honest, true, godly-driven, spirit-infused uh, forgiveness to someone else will do something in our soul, will do something in our thoughts, will do something in our character, will do something in our ability to to grant that person the, the types of reprieve that God has given to us. If you think of all the guilt, uh, again, that, that could be in your life, I mean, you and I could be in a place where it's like, you know, wow, uh, we, we really do deserve hell. But yet Christ offers us mercy, and we must learn to learn. We must learn how to also grant mercy, grant forgiveness to other people. Notice what it says, the pattern. Christ is the pattern for us that we follow, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is called daily discipleship, uh, and this is what it's all about. Daily discipleship is to learn to be imitators of God. When you're a disciple of Christ, when you're fully discipled, then you're fully like the master. Well, we're not going to be fully discipled until until glory, until Christ completes his work in us. Then, then we will be fully, totally discipled when we're fully, totally like him, when he takes us up into glory one way or another. Be imitators of God, daily discipleship. We learn to be imitators to live like Christ. I want to take you to one verse. This is kind of the theme verse that I'm following for my ministry uh, at this point in time to help all of us, to help people learn how to do this. It says in 1 John chapter 2, in verse 6, it says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. In other words, whoever claims to live in him must imitate Jesus. To become more and more like Jesus, that is the call of our lives. Take you to another passage in the book of Galatians, where it tells us this. Um, let me get down to that verse, and I will show you. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, uh, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, living that type of life, Christ in me. That is the call of the Christian life. Back in Ephesians chapter 5, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. To think of your life as a fragrant offering. 
I mean, what what type of smell comes off of you? What type of smell comes off of me? Is it the smell of you smell like a sweaty, uh, you really need to go take shower type person? Uh, or is it that pleasant, oh, that person smells so good? That's us, to, to be a fragrant offering. I mean, the, the fragrance can be a, a fragrance of burnt flesh, uh, burnt hair. You know, it's like when you're grilling something and you, the grill's a little hot and you stick your arm over there and it kind of singes the hairs on your arm. The burnt hair smell, not that type of fragrant offering, but the, the pleasant aroma of the incense from our lives going up to God. You know, he he gave himself to be a fragrant offering. He gave himself to be a sacrifice to God. Now, now we don't have to be a sacrifice as Christ was to die for the sake of someone else, but yet we are called to crawl up on the altar every single day. Uh, in fact, tells us in over in the book of Romans, chapter 12, and verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, that we offer ourselves up to God, that uh, we would experience uh, just crawling up on the altar. And this is a regular thing that we have to repeat again and again and again to get up on the altar. Christ gave himself as a fragrant offering. We give ourselves as a fragrant offering. Christ sacrificed himself unto death for God, and we uh, we sacrifice ourselves, offering ourselves up, saying, Lord, here's my body. Work in me. Use me. So, so Christ is the pattern. Now we get down into verse 3, uh, and now we... we Christ is the pattern of love, if you want to look at it that way. And now we get into verse 3 and 4. Now we see the perversion of love. It says, among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity, of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather there should be thanksgiving. Now, I'm going to stop right there. We'll go down further in, in kind of the laundry list that Paul gives. Let me take us over to the New Living Translation, verse 3. Let there be no sexual morality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Now, some would say, well, I, I don't struggle with sexual immorality. You know, perhaps there are some of us who do struggle with sexual immorality and there's all kinds of variations of what sexual immorality can be the word pornea comes into play here so i mean the sexual morality of pornography the sexual immorality of um, sex with somebody other than your husband man wife woman uh let there be no sexual immorality uh and, and you know different the reality is that some Christians struggle with their sexuality, uh, and let's and part of the problem that we see sometimes in in the modern day, uh, especially in the church, is that we think, well, just sex is bad. No, sex is a gift from God, given for marriage, given for the mutual edification of one another in marriage. It's when it goes outside of that bound that now we have a problem. It's when we have. Uh, Sex with somebody who's not our spouse. That's when we have the problem. 
That's when we're all the time thinking about somebody else. That's when we have the problem. Um, let there be no sexual morality, impurity. So now there's sexual morality, but then it goes into impurity. There's all kinds of varying impurities that we can have in our life. Then it talks about greed. We want what somebody else has. We covet what somebody else has. It says no uh, such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness that, that rolls off your tongue. Let me put us into the message paraphrase. Verse 3 says, don't let love turn into lust, setting off a downhill slide into sexual promiscuity, filthy practices, or, or bullying greed. Then he says this, though some tongues just love the taste of gossip, Christians have better uses for language than that. Don't talk dirty or silly. That kind of talk doesn't fit our style. Thanksgiving should be our dialect to learn how to be thankful. And and, and there are some among us, perhaps, that that um, would, would uh, be bent toward gossip. Now, we would say, no, not really, but yet when you look at a verse like this, all of a sudden there is a, a sense of some conviction that falls upon you because you know, well, really that is an area where you struggle, where where you do um, where you do gossip about other people. Um, and what is gossip? Well, gossip is not just sharing prayer requests. And sometimes we'll we'll share a prayer requests, but really what we're wanting to do is spread some gossip about somebody. That does happen at times. Yes, it does. So gossip can be a, a problem. Uh, other language can be a problem. Uh, the flirtatiousness can be a problem. And it's something that, you know, we need to guard against. I, I need to guard against that. I'm, I'm a friendly person by nature. Uh, but but I, I have to say, I, I realize and I confess that sometimes that, that might slip into, not with any goal or intent of some outcome, but, you know, maybe just, well, I, I need to take a step back because what I'm saying or what I'm doing might be construed as being flirtatious. Christians, it says, Christians have better uses for their language than that. Dirty talk, silly talk, shouldn't be a part of us. Learning to, to glorify God, learning to praise God. So these things, the, the, these things are the perversion of love. When, when we say to somebody, and, and I, I really appreciate how uh, Peterson puts it here in the message, verse 5, don't allow love to turn into lust. Where we do that, we have to ask the Lord's help. We have to ask the Lord's forgiveness. We have to ask the Lord to to help us to set our hearts and our thoughts and our relationships aright. Because then it sets off a downhill slide into sexual promiscuity. And that can be sexual promiscuity that never plays its way out, but certainly plays its way in our minds. And we shouldn't go there. We need to allow the the, the, the good things to fill our minds. Let me show you another verse from the book of Philippians, chapter Four down at verse eight, it says this. In fact, let me put us into the NIV down here. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, 
think about such things. That's just what we need to do. Think about such things. Never is admirable. Never is excellent. Never is praiseworthy. Noble. Right. See, this verse doesn't tell us what not to be thinking about. It tells us what to be thinking about. And so often, when we get all wrapped up in what we shouldn't do, we don't do what we ought to do. So, Christian, to be wrapped up in the things that, that God wants you to do uh, in your life, giving your thoughts to the thoughts that, that God wants you to give yourself to. So, verses 1 and 2, Ephesians 5, Jesus is the pattern. Verses 3 and 4, we see the perversion of love. Uh, and then we get into verse 5. Uh, and first, verse 5 now speaks about the punishment for uh, this type of sin. Look at verse 5, and the, this is rather sobering to read. Uh, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, you say, wait a minute, that makes it sound like we lose our salvation. Well, it's not necessarily talking that we lose our salvation. What it may be implying is that maybe we haven't actually had that salvation. Um, if, if the whole bent of our life is toward immorality and never toward God, if the whole bent of our uh, of our conduct is into impurity, like carousing and and promiscuity, uh, and, and never toward uh, the the glory of Christ. Uh, then maybe we're just not saved. If if we're always coveting, always wanting more, and and never learn how to, if we're always greedy and never generous, uh, and and you don't give to the works of God, and don't give to the kingdom of God, or don't give. Uh, in some altruistic, benevolent way to help somebody else in need, if that is never a part of your wiring, you might just need to sit back and ask yourself, am I truly a Christian? Friends, I do not believe it is the prayers of the lips that make someone saved. Uh, I, I believe it, it is the uh, to, to, to ascertain Christ in the heart. Now, I know some of you are going to say, but it says in Romans chapter 8, no, chapter 10, and let me take us there and we'll look there. I know what it says in Romans chapter 10. I, I, want, to, uh, I, I want to show you something in Romans chapter 10 that's so critical for us to understand. Verse, uh, verses 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth, so there is the verbal proclamation that Jesus is Lord and also believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. I mean, it needs to take place on the inside of man in our hearts that we believe in our hearts, but also it's something that's going to come off of our lips. There are people who, who pray prayers at, at all kinds of events, but yet they're still consumed by impurity. They're still consumed by impropriety. They're still consumed by greed. And, you know, if there is never the heart, never the thought, never the interest, it's like I go to church, but I'm bored with it. Um, the Bible, I'm bored with it. God talk, I, I'm not so interested in that. Just so I get to go to heaven someday, friend, you're not going to get to heaven. I'm sorry. Uh, because the, the marks of the believer 
uh, are, are that you turn from these things. The marks of the believer are that there is a heart for God. The marks of the believer is that Christ is transforming your life uh, when there is genuine conversion. And I know that's very strong words that I say, and I don't think we fall into salvation and out of salvation willy-nilly like some some theological positions would uh, espouse. But what I do think is that if there if there's not this evidence, uh, if if the pattern of our lives is opposite of the pattern of Christ's life, uh, if there is, as it says in verse verse five, if there is all kinds of immorality, if there is all kinds of impurity, if there is all kinds of greed, if there is all kinds of idolatry, then why should we think that we're going to have any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ? So I encourage you to think about where you stand in relationship to Christ in that way. Do you? I mean, the fact that many of you listen every single day and have been doing so now for two years and four months, um, that says something. To get out of bed at 6 o'clock, uh, I'm going to have to be getting out of bed a little bit earlier, I think, uh, talk to you more about that some other time, but but um, that you get up early to be able to spend this time that indicates that you're hungry for God, so you're probably good, but it's the people who say, I would never make time to, to, to I wouldn't waste my time with that. They never open their Bibles. Church is something that maybe they get to a time or two a year. Friend, I think we need to pray for that person. I think we need to pray for, for people who, who do not show that hunger uh, let, let's not be lulled into some false sense of security. I believe that, that security for the believer is very secure. I believe that nothing can cause our inheritance to spoil or perish or fade. I believe that, that the, the seal of the Spirit is permanent. It's indelible if we have it. question is you need to make sure that you have it. So uh, verse 5 turns, we show people who turn from the pattern, and it shows the punishment in verse 5. These people have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. In verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, the things we just read about, the, the immoral nature, the impure nature, the greed, because of such things, God's wrath is coming on those who are disobedient. Now, the, the word coming is talking about it's going to come yet in the future. Um, and it will come. Now, we, we like to think of God. Well, God is all kind. God is all loving. God is all uh, all of those things. Um, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. God's wrath will come. So let no one deceive you. Some will have empty words. Some will say empty things. Uh, they'll say it doesn't matter if you're immoral. They'll say your sexuality doesn't matter. They'll say that, you know, you, you can go out and carouse and all you want. And it doesn't matter. Friends, it does matter. It really, really does. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, it says in verse 6. For because of such things, the wrath of God is coming. And then it says this, therefore, do not be partners with them. Uh, and I, I'm going to stop there today. I'm going to pick back up in verse 7 uh, and talk, because now he kind of weaves in these next verses between 
uh, he he did. Uh, he's weaving back and forth between the believer and the non-believer, what the believers to be like and not to be like the unbeliever. I'm going to pick those verses back up for us tomorrow morning when we get into the broadcast, picking back up at verse seven. We're to be imitators of Christ. We're to live like Christ. We're to uh, demonstrate Christ to the world around us. That's our calling. That's our goal. That that's when Christ is bursting with life within us. That is exactly what happens. Well, I'm going to stop there for today, and uh, I'm going to uh, let you get into your day and uh, to engage with God. I pray that you and I will be imitators. And I make that my prayer. Lord, help us today to live as imitators of Christ. Help us to live in such proximity with you uh, that, that others can't help but see Christ in us. Lord, be glorified in our lives today is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, that's a wrap for today. I will see you again tomorrow. Have a good day, everyone.